0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Off the Waivers podcast. I'm your host, James Andrews, joined by my co-host, Eric Barnes, where we cover Everything MLB and NBA related uh, over here. Today we have for you our basketball podcast where we're going to talk about the kickoff of the NBA, well, Eastern and Western Conference Finals, along with some of the other news that's been going on. We have the draft lottery came out and there's been some trade buzz going around. I'm now joined by my co-host, Eric Barnes. Eric, how are you doing
1: today? I'm doing great, James. Uh, i have some basketball. A lot's been going on um, and I'm really interested and not only uh, the conference finals matchups, because you know, there's no LeBron, there's no Steph Curry, none of these big guys. But I'm also really curious to see some of the ramifications of the teams that lost, like the Philadelphia 76ers and one Ben Simmons, as we will get to. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good precursor of what we're going to talk
0: about on the show here today. But we're going to start with a little recap of the second round matchups. When we last left off you guys last Friday, it was the Milwaukee Buc- or the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets were going into a tough Game 7 against each other, tied 3-3. The Bucks ended up winning that series in a crazy overtime thriller game. Kevin Durant just missed having 50 points on a couple of free throws that he really should have made. Um, but nevertheless, he had 48 or 49 points, and he was spe- absolutely spectacular in that Game 7, but came up just short. He had the shot that sent the game into overtime in the first place that was only about half an inch or so away from being a three-pointer, but his foot was just on the line on the spinning fadeaway step back. That was absolutely phenomenal, and then he had another chance to tie it to send it into double overtime on a very similar shot that, that had a little bit tougher degree to of difficulty, and he ended up airballing that one. It was a really tough loss for a Nets team that just wasn't even uh, close to what the full impact of, the, of a healthy Nets team would have looked like. Kyrie Irving was never there in that series, and then James Harden was just a complete shell of himself. Even though he had 22 in Game 7, it was on 5 of 17 shooting. Uh, 10 of which came on free throws Uh, which he was honestly bailed out by the referees so late in that game you just really couldn't go to him to rely on a bucket and then another big story in that game was the Nets had zero shot attempts coming from their bench not even an attempt Jeff Green was the only one that really played meaningful minutes off the bench but even even him he still didn't put up any three-pointers and he's normally a guy that plays a big role for the Nets uh, so we're going to start with the Bucks here. What did you see out of Milwaukee that allowed them uh, to win that game seven in what many people are calling the true finals of the NBA playoffs just because
1: those two teams looked like two of the best remaining? Um, I think that the Nets and the Bucks, the Bucks looked a little bit lucky to squeak, uh, squeak past them there. Like you mentioned, that Kevin Durant shot was a all timer. And if his foot, if his shoe size was just a little bit smaller, we would have been talking about that as one of the greatest shots in playoff history. And the Nets would have moved on. But, um, the Bucks looked really solid. Once again, again, uh, as we talked about last time, not a huge fan of Coach Bud um and his adjustments and what he's done and some of the guys the sporting cast around Giannis have been a little iffy but uh, at the end of the day they got the job done they were right with the nets the entire way leading them most of the game and um I really liked what they were doing uh with some of their pieces the defense um has some holes and I think that um in the mid range area and you know, that Kevin Durant kind of exposed that but um Offensively, even though Drew Holiday had a bad game, he was able to, you know, still pull it out towards the end. Chris Middleton hit uh, a couple of really big shots for them. So I, I like the Bucks um, and what they did going, uh, going for, for them or had going for them in that game seven. Um, but I'm not totally confident that this was a finals matchup because I don't think the Bucs are a finals team. Uh, I thought the Nets were clearly the favorites and if they had not gotten hurt, they probably would have easily Cruise past the Bucks and probably everybody else in this playoffs, but um it was a really fun game. That was an all timer uh, and I really enjoyed watching it.
0: Yeah, and it was one of those games from Kevin Durant that Again, it kind of shows that he is capable of being that uh, lone star on a really good team. Obviously, he hasn't had to do it in a really long time, but that doesn't mean he wasn't capable of it. So, I think a lot of people have to give him respect, his him give him his respect, and I think I have to give him some credit too. I was kind of on the end of if he's got some help, he's a really good player, but I didn't think he would be able to uh, single handedly do it all by himself. But I also agree with you. I think the Bucks got lucky. I just didn't like the defensive adjustments they made at all, if they even made any adjustments. Kevin Durant was absolutely cooking them that series, and I just I can't remember a single time where they sent a double team at him, and I don't know why you wouldn't, especially when they've got guys like Bruce Brown or Jeff Green checking into the game that you're not really all that worried about scoring-wise, so why would you not cover a double Kevin Durant? James Harden can barely even drive, um, drive towards the hoop, so you don't really have to worry about him too much. And so from that end, it just made absolutely no sense. But I think the Bucks showed that talent-wise, they're on the same level as anybody else, if not above them now at this point. And that's because Giannis Antetokounmpo is probably the most unguardable player left in the playoffs. And just because he doesn't have the bag of a Kevin Durant or some, or someone of that caliber, it limits him from being able to go like 40-plus into the 50-point range in a game. But his ceiling is just so high where he's going to score at least 28 points in any basketball game that he, he steps in that he steps into and he did have 40 points in that game seven and no one really seems to be talking about it because it was such a quiet 40 of is he just finds ways to just get to the hoop and get easy baskets and then when he's not um trying to go straight from the perimeter when he gets the ball around the free throw line he's almost automatic even on a short mid-range jump shot or some sort of a uh, hook shot where he's just trying to put the ball in the hoop nobody can really contest him on that and then he's usually pretty money uh right around in the restricted area. So I think he needs to, going forward, just continue to do that against the Hawks. We'll talk more about that matchup in a minute here. But going forward for the Nets, I think... I agree with you. I think if they had their full roster of talent, they probably wouldn't have lost anybody as long as the chemistry worked out. And I think they're going to be the favorites going forward into the next season. I think they absolutely should be considered the best team in the NBA
1: just because they do have all that talent. But what do you think about that? Um, I think that's a fair statement to say. I I do think that it just this postseason proved that they were on a different level, and just health kind of held them back uh as it did i think most of the season and that was again the question mark of them going in because i think we understood the greatness but um it was a telling sign now that like even with a beat up harden and kevin durant going crazy they still almost put got past one of the best teams in the east um and were are inches away from doing so so uh the nets going forward i think that they are in a good place they might need to work out some of the uh you know, other guys, the pieces around the that big three because like Joe Harris um was very unreliable this series and might be someone that you gotta look at and say, is this guy we someone we can have when we're trying to make a deep finals run? Because they need those key guys around um Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie that can, you know, that they can lean on in situations where they might get doubled or uh, you know, they had people out because Joe Harris was a reliable guy all season. This series, he was absolutely atrocious. He did not look like the former three-point contest champion that he was just a couple years ago. Um, and it really, that really begs the question because a lot, I saw a lot of blame on social media it was to like James Harden and Kevin Durant. And we don't need to blame anybody. They just lost. Uh, they I thought they were the better team, but they just got unlucky and they lost. But like, if the, you had to blame someone, Joe Harris, not being able to make a three point oh, wide open three pointer when that's is literally the reason why he's in the NBA, uh, was, you know, something uh, that was concerning and probably lost them the series. So I think for the Nets going forward, they should be the favorites, as you say, but they need to look at the pieces around their big three and see who compliments them the best and look at the guys and think, is this guy going to be someone that's going to help us on a finals run?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great take because their second most reliable three-point shooter behind Kevin Durant was Blake Griffin for the entire series. So I don't think that's the way the net the Nets expected it to be uh, when they started putting this entire team together. And they will have Spencer Dinwiddie coming back next season. And they'll have some other guys who will give Claxton and Bruce Brown another year to kind of develop and learn through the system. So I think their bench will probably be, uh, be all right. They can always go get another um, veteran on a... Um, Veteran max or veteran minimum contract. One or two of those type of guys just because a lot of people are going to want to team up and try to play with the Nets if it means one last shot at getting a ring. Um, and then moving on here, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the other series that happened in the Eastern Conference, the game seven. And that was the 76ers versus the Hawks. The 76ers were able to take game six, uh, somewhat easily in that one as they started to look like the number one seed that we thought they were. But And then they dropped Game 7, 103-96. to 96. Uh, Trey Young had a really rough game in that one, but he was able to do just enough uh, scoring-wise to lead the Hawks past them. Uh, ben Simmons played absolutely atrocious in that series. We're going to get some more on him in, later on in the show. But uh, do you think Philly lost that series, or do you think Atlanta deserves all the credit just going
1: out, taking it, and winning that for themselves? I mean, cop out answer. I think it's a little bit of both, but uh, Philly definitely lost this uh, series as they had a much more talent than the Atlanta Hawks did. Um, I think we have to give credit to uh, Trey Young as he's kind of formed into a real like Steve Nash type superstar young into his career, and he has got me really confident in the Hawks team going forward. And then Kevin Herder, who was having a fantastic game in that Game Seven who really put him over the top but like overall you look this Philly team you see Joel Embiid MVP candidate you see Ben Simmons who's supposed to be a max guy you see uh, Tobias Harris Jake Milton um, Steph Curry and they're all these guys where it's like this team sh- they're the one seed they should win this series they got Doc on their bench and they kind of just crumbled, as a lot of doc teams these days seem to do. But Ben Simmons more so than anybody else. And I think that you got to give the Hawks, again, like I said, a lot of credit. They played well. They played their game. And they uh, they took advantage of the poor adjustments of the Philadelphia 76ers. And that's why they squeaked out this one. But, like, it was really just a big disappointment, as it always is with the Phillies, or the Philadelphia 76ers, um, has, they seem to just crumble in the postseason. Up like like 20 points in a bunch of these games, it seemed like, for a chance to close out. And they just keep couldn't hang on the lead. So uh, lean more towards Philly being this, the disappointing factor and really losing this series. But you got to give Hawks some credit because they're not any scrubs. And people shouldn't be shocked by them going forward.
0: Yeah, and I think Trey Young deserves a lot of credit. But after that, the 76ers had the number one defense uh, going into the season, and so they were expected to be able to cover a lot of these guys and handle the Hawks better than what they did. So if you hold Trey Young to a 5 of 23 shooting, which they did in Game 7, you cannot allow everyone else to beat you. John Collins shot 5 of 6, Kevin Herter shot 10 of 18, and Clint Capella shot 6 for 8. And then they let Daniel Gallinari uh, go 6 of 13 and drop in 17 points as well coming off the bench. Like, you can't let everyone else score score like that. Some of these other guys like Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Ben Simmons when he wasn't on Trey Young have to take more accountability and step up defensively. And that also partly falls on Doc Rivers, who, by the way, has now played in more Game 7s than any other head coach in NBA history and has a whopping 6-9 and nine record. So he hasn't been very good in Game 7s at all, although he does have a handful of wins there. So I think a lot of the blame has to go to him, and I think... While you don't want to discredit the Hawks because of the way those guys were able to take advantage of this opportunity that was presented to them, the 76ers absolutely blew their best chance to go to the conference finals that we've seen since the process started and now it just begs the question of how much longer can this uh, continued go on before they have to shake up something they didn't want to trade Ben Simmons coming into the season and now his trade value seems in the seems to be in the toilet so and Tobias Harris now just as was really up and down he had a great season for most parts but he couldn't really be relied on uh when it really mattered so I just don't know where Philly goes going forward here. Obviously, they have a perennial MVP candidate in Joel Embiid, but they're going to need to get some other guys in there, and they might need to look at another coaching change somewhat soon because while Doc Rivers was able to do great things to get them to the one seed, we've seen time and time again he can't make the necessary playoff adjustments. So then moving forward, we just talked about uh, all the Eastern Conference second round matchups. So now we've got the conference finals. We've got the Atlanta Hawks versus the Milwaukee Bucks. Obviously, we mentioned how both teams got here. Uh, taking a look back at the first round. The Bucks were uh, were able to sweep the heat after, I think, just one close game in that series before they were just easily able to take control of it. And it's really starting to look like their year. Giannis Antetokounmpo is at that age now where uh, a lot of superstars go and get their first ring and then rip off a run of several rings uh in the prime of their career uh but we cannot overlook the hawks who j- happened to win game one in a high scoring affair 116 113 uh, trey young is just a man on a mission he had uh i want to say 48 points in that game uh to lead the hawks to victory there was times where they just couldn't get anything else going from anybody and trey young was just keeping them afloat especially in the second and third quarters
1: Joe, so what are your predictions for this series um, I mean, after what I saw from both teams in the last round and then what I saw in game one um, uh, yesterday or two days ago, um, and I would say that uh, I believe in this Hawks team and I think that they can beat the Bucks. I hope the Bucks will make some adjustments, but I, I would say like Trey Young in that first game, that field out game really just kind of picked apart the defense and he was just hitting floater on floater. Then he was hitting some of these threes that getting open and he really kind of exposed. I mean, it was a close game, uh, ultimately, but like he really kind of exposed the, uh, the Bucks, uh, defense kind of like Kevin Durant did. Um. Uh, so it'll be really interesting how the uh, the Bucks defend Trey Young going forward, because you know, forty eight um from the best guy on the other team is not what you want to see in the conference finals, especially uh, you know, going forward. But like, and it's okay, I guess, in a game one to have, but like, you don't want to see that continue to happen. And obviously, it probably won't. But I I like the way the Hawks are structured, and I think that um i'm not as confident in the bucks as you might be so i I like the hawks going forward for this series i think they showed in game one that they are not a fluke and that they're here uh to be reckoned with and i don't see why they can't make the nba finals they look like a sound team i'll tell you why they can't make the nba finals
0: and that is a man that goes by the name of giannis antetokounmpo the greek freak He had 34 points in game one in that series on 14 of 25 shooting. And it didn't even really seem like the game plan was to get him the ball all that often. Uh, there was were still too many times where it seemed like other people were touching the ball, or it wasn't quite going through his hands, or he wasn't in position to score. Chris Middleton had a rough uh, Game 1 as well. He's really, He's been really inconsistent these playoffs, and he's always been kind of the opposite of just a consistent presence that'll go and give you 20 to 25 points and good defense. But so far, he's been really up and down. You don't really know what you're getting from him. But I think the story of Game 1 was just how Trey Young cooked everybody on that court and that starts with Drew Holiday who was absolutely sauced on one move where he thought Trey Young was going to cross over to his left on the pick and roll and he ended up going right and then uh, he uh, hesitated and did a stare down and then a shimmy shake before hitting the three that was absolutely filthy move and you could tell Trey Young has just fully embraced his role as the villain here on the Hawks but I still don't think the Hawks are going to have enough to slow down the offense of the Bucks, And that's because the Bucks have been playing these high-scoring games all season long. A 116-113 to 113 game is actually a low-scoring game for the Bucks' standards because they have such an explosive offense with Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I just don't know. The, the Hawks seem to really struggle offensively at times in the game. But Trey Young was really picking them up and carrying until other guys like John Collins could get it going. But I don't know uh, how much, is he going to be able to put up 48 points every single game? Like, he's going to have to put up at least 40 for the Hawks to win, in my opinion, or else everyone else is going to have to go crazy, and I don't see that happening. I think the Bucks eventually are going to strap down and tighten up defensively, and when that happens, I don't think the Hawks are going to be able to
1: score with the Bucs. I mean, I don't think that's true at all. I think that the Hawks will definitely be able, and it's funny to me to be defending the Hawks because I've not been a big fan of them all year, but I think that is a team that offensively will figure out, they have too many weapons, they'll figure out how to score regardless of who's defending them. Um and what we've seen, uh, like my my confidence comes in that Philly series. Sure, Philly was dis- uh disappointing, but like you said, they were a uh, number one defense. They had all the guys that could guard a Trey Young and a lot of those other guys, and it just didn't happen. It didn't matter. So that's where my confidence in the Hawks comes in. I think that they just have a lot more options than the Bucks do. And if one or two of the Bucks um, main guys like Chris Milton. Or uh, Drew they just don't have it on a certain night. Like I'm way less confident and then being a, being able to pull out a win versus like if the Hawks like Trey Young in Game Seven against Sixers, he scored he had five baskets and he was confident as hell regardless of uh um how poorly he was shooting and it didn't matter because his team still pulled out the win because all the other guys around him so I, I that i feel like that puts more faith in um and for me and the hawks than it's like Giannis, uh who will, i know will do well and will always do well in the game but it's always about whether his teammates do well and if they don't i think they are uh not gonna win and i think they're less consistent In doing so. So I I have more faith in the Hawks in that department. I think they actually are not going to have to worry about the defense because I think they're just too strong offensively.
0: Well, the Hawks shot 8 of 32 from 3 in that game. And the Bucks shot 8 of 36. So the Hawks were slightly better, but they were about the same. But I just have more confidence in the Bucks, uh fixing that going forward because Chris Middleton was 0 for 9. Drew Holiday was 5 for 12, so he was good. But Chris Middleton's not going to go 0 for 9 every single game. So he's going to really step it up, and that'll give them a boost. Brooke Lopez, P.J. Tucker, those guys are good shooters as well. They're going to knock down their threes. P.J. Tucker actually didn't attempt a 3-point shot in that game along with Pat Connington who went 0-4 off the bench Uh, but whereas with the Hawks, I just don't know if they are going to get much better. Trey Young was four for 13 and lately he seems to be shooting around that a number almost every single game from three because while he has uh, learned to become a Steve Nash type player, he's still taking way too many deep threes and that's something he's sort of cut out for a while. But now that his confidence is just growing and growing and growing, it seems to be coming back at all the wrong times. Like he'll make two or three baskets in a row and he's really good, but then he'll try a heat check where he's, uh, Taking a 28 or 29 uh, foot three pointer. And while it's a makeable shot for him, it's like, again, he's so quick and um so good going downhill. There's, he could get himself a better shot. So there's no reason to take a heat check when you could just go and get an easy basket anyway. So I, so I'm still not sold on him being better and I'm not sold on a lot of their other shooters. Uh, Kevin Herder, as much as I love the guy of the Maryland product who had a great game seven, he's always been an inconsistent player. And if you put a hand in his face, he's normally going to miss uh, similar to Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, all these guys, you really just have to put a hand in their face and really stay on them. And most likely they're not going to make it. Whereas a couple of the Bucks guys are. G- good enough three point shooters that they're they they can make it
1: regardless. I mean so, yeah that's fair. oh sorry I mean no, you, you can I jump mean, that's in fair, here. I was just going to say uh, bucks and six. <laughs> sorry I I would say that um I think that that's what makes it kind of fun though is that there's are big question marks on both sides and uh it really could go either way. Um, I, I, like I said, Chris Middleton is inconsistent. Um, you know, Trey Young's not going to be a great shooter and he's going to take a lot of bad threes in the game. He still hasn't really worked that out of his, uh, out of his, like, you know, strategy in his game. But, uh, like you point out all those holes, I point out the other holes. That That's what makes it fun. It's like, we don't actually know definitively who's going to win and, that's probably why the NBA ratings are up right now, because if LeBron was here in the East, we'd be like, we wouldn't be talking about, it. we wouldn't have conversations like, could this, that, like we would try maybe, but at the end of the day, we know LeBron would win versus like, we're looking at uh, this Bucks and Hawks series and having a genuine conversation. Like, I don't know here or there, who's going to be, who's going to show up. And I think that's fun.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what I love about this series because you don't have any of those just elite dominant teams uh that are overpowered and there's so much parity going on right now. It feels more like a 2019 season where anything could happen. And if the Bucks did make it to the finals, which I think the the door is open for them to do it, I really think the Bucks are going to hone in and just end up beating them in si- Six games is my prediction, but I could even see it happening in five where the Bucks rip off a of four straight wins here. But the, the door is open for the Hawks to make it to the finals. So there's no question about it. And as good as this team is, this might be their best chance to make the finals for the next two or three years until they're able to get another star player because we know the Nets and other teams are going to be bringing back their teams at full strength next year. And it's going to be a more normal uh, season where everyone gets full practice time as well. But going forward here, I just I just believe in the uh, in the Bucks more than I believe in the Hawks. I think they have a, more proven players, and I think that they're just a better defensive team, and they fit more of what's in the playoffs. Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are just two phenomenal perimeter guys, offensively and defensively. They need to be better defensively first and foremost, but
1: I think they will be going forward. Um, and then I'll just be against you, I guess. I'll pick the Hawks and in, and uh, in six. I think that they. We'll also get it done six and maybe seven, but I, I think the Hawks could win this series. I don't think it'll be a five game, of Bucks right off four from here. I don't think that'll be what we'll see.
0: All righty then. And then moving on to the Western uh, Western Conference Finals, the Los Angeles Clippers are playing the Phoenix Suns. And just as a precursor, I'm not making any official predictions for the series. I said that at the beginning because I have no idea what's going to happen. We saw Chris Paul was out for the first two games of the series, and then he wasn't able to come back till game three. Kawhi Leonard is still game to game right now, but the, his prospects of coming back just don't look very good right now. Uh, the Clippers and the Bucks were my preseason NBA Finals prediction, so I think I'm going to stick with that for now. Obviously, I've been riding the Bucks oh, really hard this playoffs. The Clippers, I'm just not as confident in without Kawhi Leonard. But the amazing thing is we have seen them continue to get it done. The Suns were able to win the first two games of the series, and then everyone was calling for a sweep. Uh, the Suns instantly became the uh, favorites to win the entire NBA Finals. But the Clippers were able to just uh, keep, keep attacking and they just kept working hard and then they were able to beat the suns in game three do you think the clippers stand a chance and uh can do another comeback like they had to do in the first two rounds or do you think the suns are just the overall better team right now
1: i think the suns are the overall better team um but based on me betting against the clippers all throughout these playoffs and them just consistently going down 2-0 and then winning game three and having that momentum. Uh, I, I would say it's po- very possible that they come back and make this a series um, and that this will be closer than it might have appeared um, after the 2-0 uh, lead that the Suns put up. But I would say that like it's a little different now because – Everything that the Clippers do completely is reliant on Paul George and the main man, Reggie Goggles Jackson. Uh, Ever since Reggie Jackson put on the goggles, he's been a different player. He's been very good. But, I mean, like I said before, it's all down to Paul George. There's no quiet right now in this series. I don't think he's going to be back this series. I don't know all the information, but it doesn't seem like he'll be back. Um, So, this is a... Really like pivotal moment. They got a big game three. Ty Lue has looked like a much better coach in this situation than Doc Rivers has. And I think that actually, even though I criticized it uh, being the the year, I didn't think it was a good move. Actually was a great move by the Clippers because he is someone who has made adjustments and has really uh, been great this postseason and some of the moves that he's made. But I mean, it'll be all down to whether we see pandemic P or playoff P. Otherwise, the Suns will probably win this series.
0: Yeah, so I think there's a bunch of different stuff that's going on in this series. Uh, starting with Paul George, he looks like he's ready to become just he—he he just looks like he wants the smoke right now, and he's ready to take on whatever challenge is put in front of him. Because as good as the Suns are, this isn't like a prime LeBron James team that he's trying to go up against. Uh, um, a 2012 Miami or 2013 Miami Heat team that he's just completely unmatched. This is a doable challenge for him as bad as he's been at different times of the postseason throughout his career, he looks really good right now and he looks like he's in a good mental state and that that's pretty much the most important thing with him and we've seen it time and time again in his career if he is uh, physically and more importantly mentally right then he's going to be a really good player and even though he's not setting the world on fire like Kawhi was before he went down, he's doing enough to create for himself and others to allow the Clippers to stay at this point that they are right now and they could easily be up 2-1 or even 3-0 Right now, it just came down to that Deandre Ayton lob in Game Two would is the difference right now, or else it would be a completely different series with the Clippers up two to one. And even Game One was a close affair. But the story that um, we have to talk about the story of this series is Patrick Beverly right now and Terrence Mann as well to a lesser degree because those guys' perimeter defense has been phenomenal. I mean, they are just one-on-one or in the pick and roll locking up Devin Booker. Devin Booker looked extremely uncomfortable out there on the court. He couldn't buy a bucket even when he was getting open. They were so in his head that he wasn't able to cash in on his open shots. Everywhere Devin Booker went, Patrick Beverly was right there and then we also saw Patrick Beverly butt heads with him in game two which forced booker to wear the mask in game three over his nose because his nose was broken in three different places and again that's just added to the fact that devin booker didn't look comfortable out there and i think part of that was because of his mask all
1: right let's not overrate patrick beverly here (laughs) i think uh he is a pest on the court but um I am in the camp of Patrick Beverly is a guy who tricked everybody in the league that thinking he's a good player when I don't think he really is um uh I'm not gonna blame him for devin uh, Devin Booker basically breaking his nose because I think that was just kind of a fluke uh, I don't think that was a situation where um it was because of Pat Beverly that was just kind of like it just Unfortunately happen. I'm not going to say the mask made Devin Booker uncomfortable like you did. I'm sure it probably did. But like, I'm not, not going to be the reason why he played bad uh, or not as well as he did in the first couple of games. games. Um, Patrick Beverly is a interesting piece to have on your team. He's a guy that if you root for them, you love them. If you don't, you probably hate them. Um, and I would be in the latter group. So uh, I'm not going to say Patrick Bev's the difference in the series. I think that, like I said, I think it's going to be Paul George. Terrence Mann's looked great, as you mentioned. He is a guy who might be a legitimate breakout candidate here uh, to be a good player for, uh, for the rest of his career because I mean, he's kind of, he's really young. But um, I think that, once again, it's going to come down to what Paul version of Paul George we're going to get. And then ultimately... Can Chris Paul stop Reggie Goggles? I think you should have, been, you should have made the segment about Reggie Jackson and not Pat Bev because I think that's, you have a better argument there. Look, Reggie Jackson's
0: been good, and we can talk about him in a minute here. But Devin Booker shot 5-for-16 in Game 2 and 5-of-21 in Game 3. So if it wasn't the mask and it wasn't Patrick Beverly, what was it? What, was there a draft in the building, or, or what was it? Because Devin Booker's one of the premier scorers in the league, and he couldn't buy a bucket in either game.
1: I mean maybe Kendall Jenner said that if he doesn't get his uh nose fixed that she's breaking up with him. I I, I mean, just spitballing here. What could've happened?
0: Yeah, exactly. It was Patrick Beverly. I didn't think you had any to come back for that. <laughs> Patrick Beverly was all on him. You're not wrong. Patrick Beverly tricked everyone into giving him a was it, all defensive second team or third team. Not a few years back, but every once in a while, he just has does have the ability to go in there and play elite defense. Now sometimes his defense is absolutely atrocious. It's so his floor is oh, terrible. An, his floor is essentially a player that you you don't want on your team and you can't give playing time to. But when he's playing like this, he's a really good player that you want out there for basically the entirety of the game as long as Devin Booker's out there because when he's rested and he's healthy like this, he is a pest, and he uh, is just so much quicker than Devin Booker is on his feet that he was able to stay in front of him the whole time. And for whatever reason, Devin Booker just didn't seem comfortable going to the low post or the mid-range and getting anything, and then he wasn't able to cash his open shots like I mentioned. So it really was a rough time. I expect Devin Booker to have some bounce back, but as long as Patrick Beverly and Terrence Mann keep playing perimeter defense like the way they are, it's going to be extremely tough for either him or Chris Paul for that matter to get much going. And as far as Reggie Jackson goes, you know, Reggie Jackson's been really good in this series, but he's still just a very inconsistent player where I sh- I feel like he's never going to shoot 50% because he'll take one smart shot, make it, and then he'll take another dumb shot afterwards as a heat check. But he does have a few moves that have been very good. And his sidestep three-pointer in particular has just been almost butter for him. And sometimes it's better than his actual just catch and shoot three-pointers. So from that perspective, Reggie Johnson, Reggie Jackson has been really good, uh, hitting big shots for the Clippers. And he's certainly, uh, been a player that stepped it up since Kawhi went down. He's one of a handful of guys that's, uh, kind of just, uh, tried to fill the gap of Kawhi Leonard right now. And I would say Reggie Jackson is somewhat filling the offensive gap that Kawhi Leonard leaves, but Patrick Beverly's filling the defensive one.
1: That's fair to say. I mean, you got to think about uh, all those factors. I still would say the Suns are probably the favorite. Um, as you mentioned, Devin is probably going to bounce back. Uh, and with Chris Paul back, it just adds that leadership back on there. But, I mean, we got to talk about that, that unreal game two finish, though, uh, as I think that could be a huge momentum thing, even though the Clippers did come back and win here. Uh, like, when the Clippers see a situation where they had the game um, – you know, uh they had the game in hand. Paul George misses two clutch free throws and uh then with less than a second, the Suns can turn around and score and win that game. Uh it really has that really is, that begs the question of where Paul George's head's gonna be at for the rest of the series um going forward when, you know, ultimately they probably should have had game two as well. They could have been the team that's up two one right now and that's a fair assessment
0: but I think Paul George's head is perfectly fine right now and I was a little worried about that um, after game two as well those were really two bad missed free throws but they kind of flew under the radar you didn't really see a whole lot of people talking about it on social media which is kind of surprising because normally people jump all over at Paul George's failures but you didn't really see that and I feel like that's a, that's, that's important because uh, for some players how they're talked about on social media or on TV it, it doesn't even matter in the slightest because they don't care about that but Paul George isn't like that he, he's always cared to a degree and he knows what's going on in the media he's checking Instagram and Snapchat and all that after the games so he knows what people are saying about him so I, I think just kind of social media let him off with the break and I think that kind of helped his mindset he looked very aggressive in game 3 and he looked ready as well so I don't think his mindset will be a problem going forward unless uh, he would have an absolutely tragic game and then in which case I think the Clippers would probably fall apart and lose right away I agree with you. I probably think the Suns are going to win this series and that is because of Deandre Ayton who has been nothing short of phenomenal in just this entire playoff run in general. You can make an argument that he's been the Suns' best player. The way he's uh had a just such a huge two-way impact. But he shot 12 of 15 uh from the f- uh from the floor in game 2 and then he shot <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he shot uh, 9 of 13 in game 3 uh, He, I believe he broke the record for the best field goal percentage so far in a pl- in a single playoff run shooting a little over 72% and I don't see any reason why that's going to go down because he seems to shoot 70 plus percent in every single game he plays in right now. Uh, he, he's getting everything easy going towards the rim and I think that's the number one thing that the Suns didn't do in game 3 that really hurt them is they didn't get enough going through DeAndre Ayton. In game 2 I felt that they had a little too much going through DeAndre Hayden, but it was still a healthy amount of trying to get him going, running screens through him, and then having him roll to the basket where he can get a lot of easy looks. They didn't do enough of that. Uh, Devin Booker really wasn't able to get downhill. Chris Paul wasn't uh, able to find him enough inside. And Zubac also played really well to his credit. I thought he switched one through five extremely well. There were a couple of times where he switched on to Chris Paul and didn't give up a a good look in the mid range, which is usually just automatic for Chris Paul on any center. He can normally get a look, but Zubac stayed on him really well. And then Zubac also stayed home on the lobs pretty well, mostly in game three as well. So um, uh, with that being said... I think this is going to be a closer series than people expect, and I think this is probably going to go to seven games with or without Kawhi
1: Leonard. Um, yeah, I can see that too. I think that just with Ty Lu on the bench and um, if you can get a confident Paul George, I don't see why he can't just go to seven. Um, I think that the Suns might be the better team, and that the Suns will be the team that prevails in seven, but the Clippers have shown that with their backs against the wall, they've been up and down. But they've been a team that's been consistent and has fought this playoff. So uh, I don't think they'll just go down without a fight. Yeah, exactly. And that's the most important thing because the Clippers just wanted
0: it more in Game 3. That was obvious. They won 106-92. to 92. There were several just loose balls and... Um, things of that uh, 50-50 plays that the Clippers were just on it almost every single time. They were they were the first ones to the floor. They were the first ones to the ball. No matter where it was, they just seemed to be on it, and they, they just wanted it a lot more than the Suns, and so I expect that to be closer to even going into Game 4, but you cannot question the Clippers' heart right now. They are completely giving it all. Everybody that's you know actually down on the bench is giving it their all. Uh, because obviously I'm referring to Kawhi Leonard, who was sitting up in the booth for Game 3. That was a really odd thing to see, and a lot of people also uh, left let him off the hook for that. Whereas if that was a player like LeBron, you would never hear the end of it, of how he's just giving up on his team and not sitting with them. But ultimately, ultimately, I think Kawhi Leonard probably suffered a serious injury, which is why that he was spending time with his family there instead of down with the team. Uh, that was kind of a sign to me that he's not going to come back in this series. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, but I would bet that Kawhi is not going to come back. But, you know, w- I'm going to pick the Clippers in seven here. I'm just, I know I said I wasn't going to make a prediction, but I talked myself into it. I'm going to shake things up here. I'm going to go against you. I'm going to stick with my preseason uh, finals prediction and, you know, maybe hope to win a little bit of money.
1: Well, looks like we are on both sides of uh, both com- conference finals. Uh, I got the Hawks and the Suns finals. You got Clippers bucks. So, you know, ultimately we'll see what's uh, what happens. And, you know, maybe one of us will be right. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> we'll <laughs> yeah, probably, probably split somewhere in there. Yeah, probably in the middle with a little bit of split. That seems how these things go.
0: Alrighty. So with that being said, we're going to move on from the NBA playoffs and talk about uh, some of the other news that's been going on around the NBA. And we'll start with the draft lottery that came out the other night. So now we know uh, the entire order of the first round draft. The first overall pick ended up going to the Detroit Pistons. Obviously, the the superstar guard Cade Cunningham out of Oklahoma is the favorite to go with that pick and I think it's pretty much a lock at that point he'll be going number one overall even if it's not to Detroit if they decide that they can trade back and get more value uh or something like that I think Cade Cade Cunningham is locked into the number one spot and then past that you have the Houston Rockets were able to get the number two pick which was critical because that saved their that was able to save their draft pick. And then a couple other notes. The Minnesota Timberwolves were not able to get one of those top four lotteries, so they lost their first-round pick to Golden State. Uh, Golden State now has the seven and the 14 picks coming up in this year's draft. So right off the bat, who do you think won the lottery besides the Pistons? And do you think any of these teams that are right in the bottom of the lottery can uh, use one of these rookies that they get to make a difference next year?
1: Um, I would say the team that I, if you i have not picked the Pistons for, you know, getting Kate Cunningham, I think there's two teams for me that definitely, you know, won the other night. Uh, I would say that the first one is the Houston Rockets. For being able to not only keep their pick, but also get into that number two spot, they just missed out on Cade, but I mean, Evan Mobley or Jalen Green are not, you know, bad constellation prizes if that's what ends up happening for them. So th- I think that's a big win for them. And then the Toronto Raptors sneaking up into the fourth spot because if the Toronto Raptors end up with a Suggs or a, a Jalen Green. Um, that could be huge for the, their franchise going forward, being a team that was almost in the conference finals, just, uh, over just a year ago or less than a year ago, I guess in the bubble, they had a bad, um, they had a bad season this year, but, you know, getting moving up in the lottery to the number four spot and being able to get one of the the top guys in this draft could be huge for their franchise going forward and real, really rebuilding quickly. Um, or even maybe them being able to package that pick for someone else that you know fits their timeline a little bit better. So I think those are two teams for me outside of the Pistons that really won. Um, and then I think you could say Golden State maybe being able to get that uh the very similar similarly to the uh, Timberwolves being able to get that seven, or not Timberwolves the uh, Raptors being able to get the uh the pick from the Timberwolves. Um, so I would say that they also won in that department, but their picks are a little farther back than, um, uh, you would want. But I you can, I, I think they could definitely have good picks that they could package and make a move, um, for someone to help them as well. So I think that those are the, those are the three teams that I would say definitely the Rockets and the Toronto Raptors for, you know, sticking around, being in the top four with the way where their situations are and then golden state getting those that extra pick could really you know help booster or bolster them and you know improve their uh their not their dynasty anymore but you know their contender contention next year
0: yeah and another clear favorite that you didn't mention here i would definitely have to say carl anthony towns and d'angelo russell uh really had a would, are clear, uh, winners of this NBA lottery since because they lost their draft pick, now they don't have to worry about, uh, possibly being good next year or contending or actually having to like work hard or try in games or even in practices. <laughs> Could you imagine that, having to try and practice? So I think those guys in the Minnesota, Minnesota Timberwolves organization are all winners. They get to have another last place season next year where they don't have to care or or do anything, uh, even remotely trying hard for that matter. So, you know, crowd, they're winners. We'll give them their due. But in all seriousness, Golden State is the biggest one for me because they did get that Timberwolves pick at number 7 overall and then they'll have their pick at number 14. I think they could either package uh, those two picks and then one of the other players on their roster for a a really solid player that'll help them out a lot or that they can get two uh, pretty uh, role players because this draft, it's not the greatest draft but it is being hyped up as a pretty good one with some depth to it. Definitely better than the last year's draft that had uh, Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball at the top. So I think that they should be able to get some decent players uh, out of that uh, but they also are going to have a scary team going into next year with Curry coming back full force, Klay Thompson coming back. If he can be uh, e- even like 75 or 80% of himself, he's going to be a great player again next year and I think that there's a chance that he does make a full bounce back and it's the old Klay Thompson that we know and love and then they'll have James Wiseman coming back from injury that if he can get healthy and start to develop himself a little bit more, he'll be a great player but of course they also have Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, Kent Bazemore and Draymond Green all at the helm along with those two picks. So I think there, there's a chance that we see Golden State uh, competing for an NBA Finals or at least around a round top four seed uh, next
1: year. I mean, I think I, I got to ask the big question then too uh, since we were looking at the other teams. How much of a dub is this for the Detroit Pistons to get Cade Cunningham? And then how much is this an L for Cade Cunningham going to Detroit? <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think
0: that was the biggest loser of the draft. I wasn't going to say it, but since you said it, I'll say it. Cade Cunningham, uh, poor Cade Cunningham. Yeah. I don't think he's going to like going to the Detroit Pistons. They have really nobody outside of him. I think he's already the best player on their team and he's not even on their team yet. I mean, Jeremy Grant is a very good player. Uh, we'll give him his due and he's actually playing on Team USA for the Olympics now. So that's pretty cool for him. But I mean, outside of that, they have absolutely nobody and they don't have a stockpile of assets or picks coming up either. They just have more last place seasons ahead of them. Eventually they'll get some more uh, high value draft picks, but it's going to be rough in the first few years for Cade Cunningham. I don't expect he's going to be able to uh, really do much. He'll be a he'll be a good player who will do his thing and He'll start to show people the offensive talent he has, but I feel like he's the type of guy that could average 20 or 22 a game uh, on high efficiency if he was put in the right system right away. But that's just not going to happen. He's going to be next to Killian Hayes. Uh, and I've seen a few player, or uh, a few Pistons fans. All, all like 30 of them that actually exist that are excited about that and are talking about how that's going to be one of the best backcourts to come, but that doesn't even make the top 15 backcourts, in my opinion. And, the, and their front court has absolutely no talent or depth to it. So I think Cade Cunningham's going to have a rough time in Detroit for the next several years to come.
1: I mean, I'm not as (laughs) as cynical as you. I think that there's some, you know, potential there, but I I think you just have to go back to it being um, just the Detroit Pistons and the incompetence of being one of the incompetent franchises in the NBA, uh, always being here where you have to question how they might build this or build around Cade. But, I mean, a backcourt of Cade and Killian for the future isn't the worst thing ever. If they, if Killian can develop right, that can ultimately give them two really good playmakers, uh, which you really need in today's game. You need multiple people who can be able to handle the ball and uh, create for themselves and others. But uh, realistically, you got Sadiq Bey, who's a nice young piece. Jeremy Grant looks like he's solid, but... Um, I don't think you really are thinking about, you know, you're really getting excited about Jer- Jeremy Grant and thinking like when you're thinking about this future with Killian and Cade, you I don't think he's there. Um, Isaiah Stewart's an interesting, um, young rim runner, uh, big, you know, he could really fit well, um, with Cade, I think, as a pick and roll guy. Uh, so they have some nice, decent pieces. I wouldn't say that like, Definitely more optimistic about it as, as you are, but not in the sense where I think this is a good situation for Cade. I think that um probably Houston or maybe even Toronto. I think the Pistons and then maybe like the Cavs were probably two of the worst spots that Cade could ended up and it almost he almost ended up as the Cavs since they got three. So um I, I I'll be interested to see how this goes forward and see, you know, how his career progresses. I would have wanted to see him somewhere else, but that's not how it works, so we'll we'll have to see what the Pistons do, and maybe Cade will lead them out of incompetence. I think that's just asking way too much. I think in a couple of years, we might almost <laughs> forget Cade
0: Cunningham's name. We'll be like, oh, wait, yeah, he's in the NBA now, right? <laughs> because no, nobody's going to watch the Detroit Pistons game. Yeah, you mentioned some guys they have, but yeah, they'll be in the lottery next year for sure. They'll they'll be at the top of the lottery.
1: Uh, but a few yeah, other teams I don't that I... Expect- are- no, go oh, ahead. Sorry. i sorry. Cade, Cade does raise your floor as a team, but I don't expect him to come in right away and like carry them to the playoffs, especially the way that they're built. So, yeah, I, I think that that certainly will be the case. Um, but
0: I think you're a little hard on Cleveland there while they well, they are definitely a very poor franchise and I don't really know how much uh, they have going forward. I think they have a lot more than the Pistons. They have two pretty good young guards, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, uh, locked into the slot, uh, right now, even though they don't really work together. But then of course they have Jared Allen, who, uh, rumor has it they're looking to give a max contract to this offseason. And so now they have the number three overall pick. So that sets them up to get an, a fourth player, the, a fourth type of building block player. And if they, uh, my prediction right now is I think they're, they're going to go ahead and draft Jalen Suggs, which would be the third point guard on their team which would open the door for a trade to either um, Darius Garland or more likely Colin Sexton, who's coming off a phenomenal season where he averaged 24 points per game. But he's also was somewhat inefficient at times, uh, somewhat selfish. We've heard that his teammates don't really uh, necessarily like playing with him. And I think that while his trade value is at the highest, Cleveland will probably look to move him and then put Jalen Suggs, who is a much better combo guard, can play on or off ball next to Darius Garland. And I think Cleveland will have a decent dynamic going forward. But I really like Orlando. Uh, how they um, sh- sh- shook out in the lottery, getting the number 5 and 8 picks. There are teams similar to Detroit that they're building from the bottom up at this point, but their rebuild is just starting, and I think that if they could capitalize on one or two of these picks uh, this year, they'll have a much better shot going forward. They'll have like Jonathan Isaac uh, coming back from injury. He uh, He's going to be a really good player if he makes a full recovery and uh, starts developing again. And then they still got some other guys uh, like Mo Bamba's in there, and they've got uh, some other draft capital that they got from from the Aaron Gordon and Avusevich trades in the years to come. So I think Orlando uh, has, they have a long road ahead of them, but I think they have, uh, you can see light at the end of that tunnel. And then Houston obviously has my favorite player on there, John Wall. So I'm really hoping that they can do something, but I think they have a good mix of role players that can kind of keep them competent next season. So that way if John Wall and Christian Wood, who are two uh, certified stars in this league, can stay healthy, that the Rockets are have a very good shot at being in the playoffs next year. And, and Anything they get from their rookie, whether it's Jalen Green or Evan Mobley or somebody else,
1: that it will just be a bonus and could really just set them up going well for the future. Um I'm not that optimistic. I think the Rockets look like they're more of a project right now. Um you know as a Wizards fan, you you have this great light of John Wall, but right now he's just uh empty cab space last season. He really did a lot to help them tank. <laughs> their their future really is looking at um a young Kevin Porter Jr. who they got as a throw-in after the Cavs, you know, really messed that up and they really developed him into a guy who could be a nice playmaker for them. Christian Wood is really solid, but Ultimately, like I don't know how well he fits with some of these guys in the draft, but he's a really good player. He's an all-star level player, and he probably would have been close to the all-star game um, if he wasn't hurt around that time this season. So they have some nice young pieces. John Wall is probably just going to be a leader, and I don't know if you could say star, because he really hasn't been a star for a long long time now. Um, But I think that... Evan Mobley will have to figure out his fit with a Christian Wood. Jalen Green, I think, makes a lot more sense for this team. Uh, just because of he, what he can do and he can be a legitimate, uh, scorer from the wing, which is what this team's lacked. Uh, but personally, I, I, back to the Cavs, I think that what you're correct on them looking at Jalen Suggs here, I think that, uh, they are, they like Jared Allen a lot. And I think they are looking to move, um, Colin Sexton for something, but they also could be a team that could move down, um, if they don't find the right, uh, Colin Sexton trade. So there's a lot of options there um and seeing how that goes. So personally, I think that the Cavs are in a good spot where they could they have a lot of options that they could go to and it'll be really interesting to see how they run it because as we were mentioned with the Pistons, they're one of the um incompetent franchises that's out there and they're always back in the lottery no matter who they draft or what they do. So it's really, you know, curious whatever they're in a spot like this, what they try to do with it um to move their team forward.
0: Yeah, and then just a uh, real real quickly here before we wrap up the NBA lottery. Uh OKC who's a team that a lot of people has been paying attention to because of the way their rebuild has been going. They seem to have every single draft pick that they can get. They have number 6, 16 and 18 and that's just in the first 20 of this year's draft. Do you think they'll be able to turn those three picks into anything significant to go along with SGA and Kemba Walker next season?
1: So I think the common misconception, um, and this might be becoming more, uh, you know, known um, now, but I would say the common misconception is that the the all these picks that they're accumulating are for them to go get a big star or someone that they can bring into Oklahoma City. I think it's more likely that they'll use a lot of these picks, especially when they have like a sixteen and an eighteen. To you know, package and just kind of like move around wherever they want in the draft. And I think that's the goal of Sam Presti is he wants to get his guys and he got a little unlucky um, because he could have gotten the Houston pick. He could have his own pick could have been higher. But uh, personally, I think he's doing a good job. And what he wants to do, I think, would be to use all these picks to help build this young nucleus uh, of guys around you know who they bring in around SGA I don't think that the the goal is to get all these picks so he can throw them at the next unhappy superstar who probably isn't even going to want to stay in Oklahoma City so i would see you know watch Oklahoma City as a team that makes a lot of trades as a mover in this draft you know they like someone that they're not going to be afraid to throw picks to get them so they're a guy they're the Sam Presti's a guy who will i think will move up or down this draft depending on who's there and who's available. So that's a team to really like pay, um really look at and you know pinpoint what they're going to do is going to be hard to do.
0: Yeah, and moving on to our last a big storyline of this episode, Ben Simmons. <laughs> A guy who I have been saying isn't a very valuable player to an NBA team for several years now, but I've that that take has always been met with great criticism, and there's always somebody out there who wants to mention how many All Star teams or All NBA selections he gets, or how many rebounds he has, because that matters for some reason, or the the fact that he gets ten assists when he only pass the when all he ever does is uh, hold the ball in his hands and then look to pass to somebody. Well, everyone's opinion on Ben Simmons has finally turned my way. Uh, He was absolutely awful Uh, just about the entire second round series versus the Hawks, which was especially highlighted in games five, six, and seven, where he literally would just refuse to shoot the ball out there. I think he shot two for four in game seven, just not getting it done, and then the biggest part was... When he uh, spun through one defender, and then the only thing he had between him and the basket of an easy dunk was Trey Young, who wasn't even in between them, and then he ended up passing out to Matisse Thybul, who was being double teamed. And just because of that, Ben Simmons has faced so much heat on social media. Every time you open Instagram or TikTok or to any type of social media app or even turn on the TV, you hear Ben Simmons hate. It just seems to be everywhere. Uh He declined to play for the Olympics this year because he wanted to work on his Call of Duty skills. Or he said he wanted to work on his NBA uh, skills and trying to get better and all that. But we know what that really means with Ben Simmons. So, uh, what do you think is going to happen with Ben Simmons this offseason? We know he's the type of guy that he is pretty mindful of social media. Usually, you think this is all going to get to his head. Uh, obviously, do you think the 76ers are going to want to trade? We saw that Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid didn't really have his back after the end of the series. Uh, what do you, what do you make of all this, uh, Ben Simmons mania?
1: Is this gonna to get to his head? Is that the question you asked? Yeah, uh, go for it. <laughs> I, think, I think it already got in his head, "Miss." <laughs> I think uh Ben Simmons will definitely be traded, but the question, real question is like what is his value? Because I don't really know. Like they he was a guy and you mentioned at the top, like they didn't want to trade at the beginning of the year. They didn't want to trade Ben Simmons for and Tyrese Maxi for James Harden. Um and now that just looks silly. Like I'm, I'm not hugely like, what's it called? I'm, I, I, still think there's potential in Ben Simmons if he's in the right situation. As I, I think I've said to multiple people in the past, I, I still believe that he can be a good, valuable player. But, uh, just this idea that he's just this max guy that comes in and changes your team. It, it's really over. Been overblown, and now he's it's really come back down to reality because there's something mental going on with him where he just won't even shoot the ball anymore. Like he used to be, like the problem was he didn't shoot threes. Now he sucks at free throws, which I don't even think he was ever that great anyways in his career. But he's so bad at free throws, he won't even shoot the ball. Like there's a stat where. He shot three times in the, in fourth quarters in the seven game series against the Hawks. Like you can't be a max guy making the money that he is and you are passing him wide open dunks. In game sevens. Like, that's just not a thing. You can't do that. And so I feel like he probably won't be back in Philly. I don't think the city of Philly wants him. If he's there, he's probably, it's probably going to be a, even more of a mess than it already is. So uh, it'll be really trying to, to figure out what the right um, move or situation will be and what his value is. I think there's a couple of trades I could throw out there. Um, but the real issue is finding a team that's like, here, we're going to bring Ben Simmons in his big contract and we're going to build this uh, team to make it work and try and figure out what's going on with him. Because there's not a lot of teams out there that could really, you know, do that. I think that um, a couple of teams, we mentioned the Cavaliers with the Colin Sexton. It would be interesting to do like a Colin Sexton and maybe like a pick or, or like maybe a pick. I think. The idea I came up with was Colin Sexton, like maybe Larry Nance, and maybe like a pick for Ben Simmons. I don't know if that's too much or even enough. Uh, And then I think that makes sense for Philly now, but uh, it doesn't make sense for the Cleveland because what is Cleveland going to do with Ben Simmons? So (laughs) that one's interesting. There's the Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum trade that keeps getting thrown out there that I think seems inevitable, but at the same time, I don't think Portland wants to do that at this point. Um, you could always consider, you know, Ben Simmons to maybe like Oklahoma city. Uh, I think that I just mentioned Oklahoma city wouldn't use their picks for a frustrated star, but I think that, uh, Sam Presti would maybe think about taking on a project like Ben Simmons. That would be something that could happen. Those are just some ideas. I think are thrown out that I've I've thrown out there. I don't really know. Again, it's hard to pinpoint what's even possible with a guy who's got the contract that he does and his value is just an all-time low that we don't even know what it is. Yeah, and I mean, you're absolutely
0: right. But I think you're also uh, pretty close to hitting the mark when it comes to his value because I I still think he's worth uh, maybe another max player. Like I don't think you're just going to trade Ben Simmons for nothing. Uh, he, you know, he really struggled obviously in the series. And the biggest part was his free throw shooting where he had the worst free throw shooting, uh, postseason, uh, postseason series and then entire postseason, uh, of any player in the history of the NBA at under 30%. That is completely atrocious. And that, that's why, uh, Doc Rivers had to take him out of the game and le- late with a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter because they were just hunting him and uh, fouling him every single time he got the ball. Uh <sighs> I kind of proposed the CJ trade as well. I think that's a trade that could fit because Ben Simmons still does a couple of things really well. He's still an extremely good defender, and that's something that a lot of teams could use, especially the Cavaliers and the Trailblazers. And he's still a pretty good um, passer. He's a really good passer and a decent playmaker. The problem, obviously, with his playmaking is if nobody's guarding him, he can't really create for anybody else either because everyone else is going to be uh, uh, guarded. But his passes are usually on the money, and that's why he does get so many assists, because where one guy will pass it to an open shooter, uh, maybe like two feet to his right, and then he has to reach out, catch it, uh, grab it, and then shoot it, and then he misses. Ben Simmons seems to always put the ball right in that shooter's pocket where those guys want it, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of their shooters, I like Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Frank Cork-Motz, had really good seasons this year, and that's one of the reasons why Ben Simmons always gets so many assists. So... While I still think that uh, he will never be a superstar, like game-changing level player, I still think he has a lot of value in that uh, too many people just aren't realizing the value he has right now and are just kind of overhating on him. He has to fix his free throw shooting first and foremost because you can't shoot 30% from the free throw line. Anything under 60%, you're just a liability to your team, and obviously we saw that, but uh I think Colin Sexton and a pick like you mentioned with Larry Nance is just too much, you know, Colin Sexton is still average 24 points per game and I think he would be a perfect type of player that would fit what Philadelphia needs cuz they need like a smaller point guard who can create shots for himself and then sometimes for others as well to complement Joel Embiid better. So I think, uh, Colin section, CJ McCollum or Kemba Walker would be the ideal type of players that Philly, Philly would look for. And I don't know why OKC would really take Ben Simmons other than just to kind of work on his, uh, just a uh, value in general to flip him again later. Because while he's a really young player, I don't know if he really fits what OKC is trying to do of rebuilding their team and, um, adding, trying to just add and develop stars to that, just to try to get their, uh, future uh, worked out. But I think, uh, Cleveland, that you could slot Ben Simmons uh, next to Jarrett Allen in their starting lineup with two really good guards, uh, like we mentioned before, and then that would give him, uh, a pl- give would give Ben Simmons plenty of people to pass to, and then he could be a one through five defender. That's just gonna wrap up the show for us, guys. That was a little bit on the longer side, a little over an hour. We appreciate you sticking around and listening to the entire thing. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Anything that you have uh want to mention to us, comment, something you want to hear on the show, you can hit us up on Twitter at the OTW Pod, uh or you can go check out our TikTok too. That is just
1: off the waivers. Uh Eric, do you have any shout-outs for us today? No, I don't think I do. I just You know, I hope that Ben Simmons finds the right place and the right home for him. And, you know, I hope he starts shooting with the right hand. That's what I hope, actually. But, no, I got nothing else to (laughs) add or say. So, you know, I I wrap this one up.
0: I got a quick shout out to the Indiana Pacers uh, for going out and getting their new head coach Rick Carlisle. I thought that was a really good pickup. Uh, their last head coach just never didn't work out for them. I was confused. They moved on to him after only one year. I was confused why they ever got rid of Nate McMillan in the first place because we see how well he's doing with the Hawks obviously, but Rick Carlisle uh, he made his own decision to leave the Dallas situation because that franchise seems to be a little bit unstable right now and he's going to another franchise that may be unstable with the Pacers, but they still have a lot of talent. So I think he could probably take them to be a playoff team next year. Uh, it's so good for him going out and getting a four-year $29 million contract. Yeah, how about Jason Kidd on the Mavericks though, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If I
1: how That's like going it. it's going to be a
0: blast. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to be an interesting one. He might be a really good mentor for Luka, but as an overall head coach, that's that's going to be an interesting one to watch next year. And with that, we're going to finish off the show here. Uh, once again, we appreciate you guys sticking around. We will be back next Friday with our another NBA podcast, and then we'll be back the Monday after that with our biweekly MLB one. So for now, uh, go ahead and enjoy your weekend, uh, watch some more basketball, and take it easy.